0: Holy Father, thank you for the gift of your holy word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that's inspired its pages and its teaching. We pray now for freedom and liberty to engage with it with our hearts, with our minds and with our wills, that Jesus Christ would be glorified and direct our every step, for we ask it in his dear name. Amen. I knew something was going to be up when uh, the bride was slightly late for the wedding I conducted on Friday here at church. It was getting on 25 minutes, which is nearly past my red line of patience, I have to say. And uh, the stretch limo arrived. There was a spot of bother because it was above average stretched. It was extra stretched. More parking spaces were made, thanks to Norman, the verger of the day. Anyway, proceedings got underway, the couple were duly married, albeit tad late, but then I realised from the start that the strumming of the guitar, the songs were not known to me, already there were some bodily movements, hands lifted high, kind of swaying of the bodies, part of the congregation, Uh, from a church in the centre of town I'm not familiar with, it's pretty lively. And uh, the other side of the family, I think, were African, probably Pentecostal. But as I started to say one or two nice things about the happy couple and kind of moulded into preaching the word, as soon as I said something like, the Lord will be with you, there were "ums" and groans and preach it, vicar, from the audience, from the congregation. So I thought, well, this is interesting. I don't get this every Sunday. Why don't I just say, well, God loves you. We'll really be with you. And they shrieked even more. I thought I really don't have to go on to my next point, I'll just repeat this, this could be an easy sermon to do, God loves you very much and it, do you know what, he's going to love you even more and they loved all that, actually I got an applause about a third of the way through the sermon, it's very interesting, I calm things down because it's an Anglican church and I'm a vicar <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to get home for the rest of the afternoon, why do I say all this? Well, Paul, in a sense, was going the other way uh, with those he was speaking to, uh, the church in Galatia. Uh, the Christ, as it were, to carry on this metaphor, they'd married, uh, they were in danger of losing, losing grip of the gospel of Christ. And rather than working up at applause, he was actually going the other way. You could sense his exasperated tones through the letter. We're on chapter 3 as we've just kindly had read to us but chapter 1 verse 6 Paul starts off pretty hellfire-ish. Well I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel of Christ. I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting your marriage vows to Christ as it were. And then chapter 3 verse 1 you really are foolish and stupid to do such a thing you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you don't want to embarrass anyone but the whole thing was about circumcision and Paul's uh, language gets a little bit gritty and granular so I would say in chapter 5 verse 12 well, why don't you just stop messing around and cutting yourself I wish you'd cut yourself off actually it's got here in the literal translation the new nrsv i wish you you would unsettle and you would castrate yourselves completely and then you almost get the emails and the um, bold type high priority exclamation mark towards the end of the letter in chapter 6 verse 11 see what large letters i make when i'm writing in my own hand will you not read this will you not consider this You've been tricked, you're foolish, I'm astonished, you've been led astray. In fact, those that are leading you astray, I wish they'd, well, finish themselves off. Serious things, no round of applause here. But Paul was quite serious, that those who had tasted of the Lord's goodness, sensed the sweetness of the Spirit that we were thinking about last week, they knew they were Christians, and for some reason, something was going on in their midst or in their lives, and Paul was keen that they got back on the straight and the narrow. I'm sure I've told you this one before, but it is pretty memorable in my hearing. I had a conversation with someone who was 70 who said, well, Vicar, I'm glad I became a Christian when I was 70 because it means I could really enjoy myself up until the moment when I was 70. wasn't actually a particularly helpful conversation to have for my thought life, I have to say, Because I was thinking, I wonder what they were getting up to until that point. But what a foolish description of what it means to be a Christian. I wonder who was teaching them. I wonder what company they kept. I wonder what real life of the Spirit they knew that they left it so late. One more helpful conversation I well recall. Uh, Someone in their 50s said, Mark, I've got a lot of catching up to do. I just can't wait to experience all that could have been mine that I have discovered. Best-selling book, uh, relatively recently, by Timothy Radcliffe. me, a Dominican friar, I think, from the Roman Catholic tradition. Sold out across the denominations. What's the point of being a Christian? Well thought through reasons. If you were with me last week as we were cantering through Paul's argument, trying to get the Galatian church back on track, it's a bit like the vicar's sermon to the wedding couple. There really is only one thing you need to know, God is love. God is love, you can say it over and over again, but Paul, interestingly... Last week we recall he introduced three new things into his argument, underlining that God loves you through his cross. Here's another three things he says to hammer the point home. Who's bewitched you? How can you be so foolish that you're letting these things go within your Christian life? The first is there which Simon's already introduced to us. You are a child of God. Chapter 3, verse at 26. For in Jesus Christ you are all children of God through faith. He mentions it again in verse 5 of chapter 4. In order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as his children. And then very famously as we'll come on to in a moment, verse 7 of chapter 4, so you're no longer a slave but a child. Adopted as children. For adults or households that do adopt children, there is a legal status. There is no, unless the paperwork's got seriously mixed up, there's no DNA status at all within that. It is pure adoption. When you are adopted as a child of God, there is, as it were, not just a legal statement that sins are forgiven, God looks on you as he would look on Christ, the slate is clean, but there is also a spiritual DNA connection as well. You're born of the Spirit. Some of the Spirit's nature is imparted to you as well. You are a child of God. That wonderful fruit of the Spirit. Some of us can see in others... Perhaps sometimes we can sense the Spirit within us calling that out into our midst. It's none other than the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus living in us. For who was the ultimate child or son of God? None other than Jesus Christ himself. So we are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Throughout the day when you wake up, at the evening with your head on the pillow. All that happens in between, all that people say to you, all that people think of you, all that you might feel in your deepest recesses of subconsciousness, you are, let no one kid you, without any recourse. You're a child of God, for God says you are. You've been born of the Spirit of God. Desperately sad that many people are creating human beings to be mere statistics. Desperately sad too that sometimes we ourselves can feel we're only someone else's statistic. You are never that to God. You are His precious child, deeply and securely loved. Never say, I am just at anything. You are a child of God, a son or a daughter of the living King. Secondly, notice the other reason we're a Christian. What better, ha- what better reason to wake up in the morning? What better identity to have in life? Not just your employment, not just your marital status, not just your bank balance, not just whatever it is you think you are. You are a child of God before a living, loving God. The other benefit of being a Christian that Paul speaks about here that the Galatian church were in in dire straits of losing. And I sometimes think we lose this ourselves today. It's this deep, intimate connection with God. So chapter 4, verse 6, the Spirit of His Son has been sent into our hearts. Hence the language that we're a child of God because the Spirit of His Son, the Son of God has been sent into our hearts. He creates that legal forensic nature that we're children of God and also that character formation within us that Jesus is there, the Spirit of God into our hearts. I'm sure many of us are familiar with this phrase used also in Romans. We are crying out, Abba, Father, no longer a slave but a child. All-parent-child relationships are there by connection, DNA connections. Uh, my relationships with my parents, I have to say, are healthy and wholesome. So with no um, sense in which if your relationship with your parents are in any way complicated or difficult. I happen to think you might find more greater Avenues into God's grace than perhaps I will. But nonetheless, I can still remember five to six years ago, just before my father died, as he died, I remember kissing his forehead. I just thought, that's just what I want to do. He, he'd die, but I just, I just wanted to say goodbye. But I, I said one or two things to him, and, and he said one or two things. To me, of course, he's known me for 55 years. He died five years ago. The intimate connection between a father and a son or a mother and a daughter, a parent and a child. And so our loving God will choose to say things to you as his child, created in his image, No one else is like you. And the Spirit of His Son comes into you. And we have that sense in which we call God Father. We we cry out to Him. If you're a black Pentecostal church, you might interrupt the vicar and say, Hallelujah vicar, preach it longer. If you're at Wurlow and you're sitting in on one of their quiet days, you're probably just... Be quiet. (laughs) However, it is, surely you will know that you're God's child, that He loves you. He will say something to you as your loving Heavenly Father that no one else will know. What a great thing to know! What a great experience to have. And then the third thing Paul mentions, why you shouldn't lose the gospel. Lose faith in Christ. Lose connection with his church. Paul then says, not only are you his children, you've got this deep connection with God. You have a crown. You're an heir. It's mentioned there in chapter 4, verse 1. My point is this. Heirs, as long as they are minors are no better than slaves. Paul works this argument up along with these other things that he is saying. It's as if you are crowned as a son or daughter of the king. That wonderful hymn, crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon the throne, why is it with many crowns? Because one day when we are heirs and we are ushered into his royal presence, our crowns will be taken off and we will crown Jesus the true son of God who's made us to be children of God till we cast our crowns before him lost in wonder love and praise you're a child of God you have connection deep intimacy and love with him you have a crown upon your head You are an heir of eternal life. And you are that now. One of my misfortunes in life is I never went to a finishing school. I I discovered someone who did, who let me into some of the secrets of these institutions. And one is the language, I can't believe they do this, I have to say. I might not be able to get through this one. Is deportment. It's how you walk. You carry yourself with... And apparently you put a book on your head... And you learn to walk proper. Proper like that. I'm not going to try it. Of course I can spot that you've been to the finishing school and you're just, you've got that deportment about you. It just is. You've got that royal look about you. As you go about your day, the Heavenly Father will tell you things. He'll reassure you that you're loved, that the Spirit is within you, and you have a crown on your head. That is how it is. How are these things going to take place? Probably the most famous verse in Galatians chapter 3, which I've skimmed over, but it does provide the context by which we can always be kept with the Lord, filled with His Spirit, recognising we're a child of God, knowing that when we go about the place, we are his royal family. It's there in chapter 3, verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Rebranded today, there is neither north nor south. There is neither rural nor urban. There are neither clergy or laity. There's neither a public person or a private person. There's neither S11 or S2. In Christ Jesus, you are children of God. And in order to most realize we are God's beloved children, we need all these other people that are different from us to experience that at one and the same time time the purpose of gathering together is to experience that in christness which of course you can do on your own to a degree if you watch it on your phone or your ipad if you come once a month or once every two months of course the lord will be gracious to you but you are foolish to think that you will get intimacy with god you'll walk around with the conviction that you're a son or a daughter of God, that he will tell you things that no one else will if you escape fellowship with other Christians. I was seriously dislocated when someone said to me as they walked into a meeting I was hosting some years ago and they looked around and they thought, oh, I don't think this is for me, vicar. none of my sort of people here. <laughs> well, God bless you. Well, how do you bless someone like that? In Christ Jesus, there is neither this nor that. We are one in Christ through faith in Jesus. I've not rehearsed what went wrong in Galatians, but I offer this as a concluding thought. In chapter 4, verse 3, there is a perplexing phrase about the elemental spirits that the Galatian church were enslaved by. It just kind of means you're, you're trapped, you're, you're enslaved, you're, you're in a cage, you can't get out. And okay, Paul dealt with the Galatian church by saying, well, look, if you want to try circumcising yourself, it's just not going to work. And just why don't that lot just shut up? In fact, I wish they would just not bother with me anymore. Just go and... I wonder what the elemental spirits are today. I wonder what's trapping you. The Lord doesn't want us to be foolish. He wants us to be free. Uh, the Lord doesn't want to say, I'm astonished, you're, you're losing connection with the church. For you are a son and daughter of the King. I love you deeply. My spirit will be communicating things to you that he won't to anyone else. And you are needed by your brothers and sisters in Christ. For he hung on a cross that the church would be formed and would be somehow an agent of transformation in God's world. So whether Paul gets an applause at the end of Galatians, I don't know. But you can almost sense him, him concluding and saying, well, I'll tell you what, I, I've, I've said what I've said. May I never boast in anything else other than the cross of Jesus Christ through which the world was crucified to me and I to the world. Of course, that's what Paul was hoping the Galatian Christians would say would be their creed and colour, all one in Christ Jesus. May the applause and praise be given to him alone. Amen.